Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Welcome to episode 11. Well, today we are going to finish up chapter 1 of 1 John. Very exciting. We're going to talk about chapter, not chapter 10, verse 10. And um, we're going to be, this is not only the end of the chapter, but of course it's the last statement in all of these if-then statements that John has been making for the whole second half of the chapter. Uh, These five consecutive if-then statements. We'll spend a lot of time in today's discussion looking at the patterns that emerge there and really trying to see what they all point to. And at the end of the day, I think we can see uh, some some central things that uh, all of them are interested in and kind of some some patterns that emerge. So uh, I had a really good time sorting this out. Things really started to kind of come together a bit here. And uh, I hope you enjoy our discussion. Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is session number 11 of Students of the Word, and today we are very excited about completing chapter one and uh, sort of more significantly, the second paragraph uh, of, uh, of John's epistle. Um, this second paragraph has been really challenging, right, As, uh, in lots of ways, both that he says some things which are uh, kind of hard in many ways to accept, but also it's just complicated, right? We've been struggling. I've been struggling at various points, trying to sort of work out the patterns and things. And I think things are coming into better focus as we get towards the end here. At least that'll be the goal. So we'll see how that goes. Um, And then uh, hopefully uh, finishing thinking about, you know, some application, what does this mean? Right. And my, uh, my, my title for today is, um, a bit of a spoiler uh, towards that. At the end of the day, I am thinking more and more uh, that this whole paragraph, it, it's its all about the koinonia. Um, I think that that's, you know, we, we set out a while back when we were looking at that word, when uh, he first uses it um, twice, right? In verse three, um, talking about that we have koinonia with one another and truly our koinonia is with uh, the father and his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and we were talking about what does that mean, right? What does it mean to have fellowship with each other and to have fellowship with the father and his son, Jesus Christ? And of course he comes immediately back to it, right? Um, when we get into uh, paragraph two, as we, uh, you know, see near the beginning, not the very beginning of it, right? Um, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say that we have koinonia with him, and yet walk in darkness, right? So we we raise the koinonia. He raises the koinonia question again right away. Um, and I think at the end of the day that um, we can see some significant progress towards understanding what it is exactly that that means. What does it mean to have koinonia uh, with, with him, with koinonia with God, with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ? Now, of course, we do always have to keep in mind that he connects that intimately with having koinonia with one another, right? He did that back in verse three. And of course he did the same exact thing again with the same word, right? In verse seven, right? We have fellowship with one another. Um, he says, uh, as if that comes before even uh, the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin, right? Um, so we know that those two things are still really tied together. 
we're going to get there. Um, that is, I want to make sure we don't forget about that because that's, that's it's going to be important. Um, but, uh, but I think that my focus, um, my focus is going to be on our koinonia with God uh, as we finish up this paragraph. And honestly, I think that most of his focus in here, I think that he inserts that in the middle of chapter seven, if chapter seven, verse seven. Um, and you notice, by the way, when you just look at it, right? Um, it's right in the middle of this paragraph, right? Like, right. It's not only in the middle of that, but we talked about it's being in the middle of that verse, right? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Um, how, you know, it's, it, it looks like we, we've got the, if then, right. And the, if we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. That seems that might seem to be the, um, the main point, right. And yet, embedded right there in the middle, nestled right in the midst of that if-then statement, um, is we have fellowship with one another. That's the first then statement, right? It's the first part of the then statement. But it's not only nestled into the middle of that verse, it's nestled into the whole center of this paragraph, right? Um, uh, The paragraph doesn't have a precise, well, not in verses, it doesn't have a precise center. But of course, the verses, John didn't write the, didn't do the numbering, right? I don't know how uh, I'd have to, I'd have to see somebody have to count Greek words or something to see how close to the center of this paragraph that uh, that phrase is in, uh, uh, in, in the original, but anyway, without having to do any precise word counts or anything like that, I don't don't know for sure if John was being as precise as all that, but in any case, it's right there at the heart of this paragraph. Um, So clearly it's important. Um, but at the same time, he's not saying much about it yet, right? Um, it, the impression that I get here is that twice now, in verse 3 and in ver- and again in verse 7, he's sort of embedding that idea, right? And not just tacking it on, mind, right? In both places, he puts it first, um, uh, as if, like, he knows we're interested in hearing about our koinonia with the Father, right, and his son, Jesus Christ, Um and so uh, he uh, front loads it, right? He 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 gives us he gives us that reference to the koinonia with one another first, in both cases, right? So clearly he's he's not just tacking it on, it's but again, but I also get the impression he's not yet discussing it either. It's almost like he's uh, he's kind of putting a pin in that in these two places, right? In verse three, so in the in, in the middle of both of those two paragraphs, right? The first paragraph and the second paragraph, he has kind of planted this flag that our fellowship with one another is of real importance and is intimately connected with, almost identified with our koinonia with God, right? So that's there, right? That's there and we can't forget about it um, and we won't forget about it, but that's not what we're going to talk about primarily either because I don't think that's what he's talking about primarily yet, right? Again, he's kind of placing that there and we'll, co- we'll come to it, right? We'll, we'll kind of bring this all, we'll bring this all together. Um, we're not even, of course, we're actually not even 20% of the way through the epistle. Um, the first chapter is by far the shortest of all the chapters. We're about 10% of the way uh, after this verse through the, uh, uh, through the epistle. So there's still lots of time for him to uh, develop that point further and show us more about how our koinonia with one another and our koinonia uh, with God are connected to each other. But anyway, okay. So let's, um, 
we start off looking at the the kind of question that we ended last time with, right? Was um, how does verse ten fit? Um, I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, I say fit because we um, we had this clear pattern going, right? Um, if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. But if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship, right? And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. So we've got the the if and the but, right? If we do this, then this, but if this, then the other thing, right? So we've got the, like the negative thing, right? If, if, if we do this, then we're lying, but if we do this, then we're cleansed, right? Um, and then verse eight and nine show the same kind of peril. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, right? But if we confess our sins, cleansing again, right? So the, uh, the parallel structure between six and seven, and then eight and nine is really clear. And then 10 comes in, then we get like a tag on, at the end. So, so the first question is, how does this, how does this fit? Cause he goes back to a negative again, right? Um, he goes back to a negative, a negative again. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right. Um, how does that work? Uh, why, why do that? So it, it, um, it would seem to disrupt in some sense that pattern. Well, I wouldn't say disrupt inform it right um it's uh it's not just a an a b a b pattern right it seems to form something like an a b a b a pattern in the end right um and um that's you know okay um that's fine (laughs) that's fine but what does that mean what does that do what's the what's the uh what's the purpose of that you know in the end what does that show us um uh so that's what my main question right uh when i was sort of starting in here um my brief answer that what i hope to show what i think we'll see is that it it clarifies some of our terms uh and ties some things together uh and i think points us back to that central theme so uh so let's see so let's start let's let's dig in here and by the way um in the second verse in a row now i think by looking at the greek we're gonna get another revelation that i would have missed in 100% of the English translations I've ever seen Um, that all of our English translations again. And and please understand, I always feel like I have to say this because I don't want to sound like, I don't ever want to sound like I'm bashing English translations. Like people who translate the Bible are like way better with languages than I am and no more than I do. And I'm not trying to just like say that they're doing awfully. What I'm saying is this kind of thing is an inescapable consequence of translating at all, right? You can't preserve all these things. So last time we were looking at the parallelism, the very tight parallelism uh, that John is building in verse nine, which is concealed by all of the English translations, right? Um, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Almost all, this one does not, right? That parallel, faithful and just is how many of the translations do it because righteousness and justice are the same word in Greek or rather the same word is used, uh, is translated in both of those different ways. That parallel between righteous and unrighteousness. And we were looking at how many of the English translations, not this one, but many of the English translations um, conceal that parallelism. There is another parallelism in verse 10, which every single English translation uh, conceals. 
And I don't know how they wouldn't conceal it. Um, that is, I don't know even how I would render this in English in a way to make it make it make it clear. But it's really cool. And I'd never even thought of it before. I'd never even realized it was there uh, until very recently. So until I was like, you know, looking at looking through the Greek and, um, you know, kind of preparing to discuss here today. So this is this I'm like really excited about this. But um, that's going to be but we'll get to that in a second. First, Stephen, I want to start with your uh, comment. Uh, Stephen, of course, I'm wanting to jump ahead a little bit. And Stephen is very sensibly asking about the beginning of this last sentence. If we say that we have not sinned. So what exactly does that mean? Stephen is asking, does that refer to a particular instance? Or is that claiming that we never have sinned? Um, I believe the latter is my understanding of it based on the English tense. And th- that tense is consistent across translation. So let's check out the tense of the verb because the tense of the verb here, I think is really important. If we should say, okay, so that's air. Oh man, it's in the aorist. Oh, it's in the aorist tense. Uh, great. The one I don't understand at all. All right. I'm going to need help with the aorist here. Oh wait, no, that's not what I mean. That's not the problem. This is the problem. Have sinned. And this is, okay, perfect, indicative, active. Okay, so that is that the simple perfect then in Greek? Okay, so I forget the aorist. If we should say, I think I get that. That's like conditional if we should, right? We've seen that before. No, no, no. This is the verb that I care about, sinned. Um, so, um that's the simple person. So, so just the, my, my first great question is very, very simple. The tense of that, that simple, simple, perfect, like action completed, right? A completed, referring to a completed action. We say that we have not sinned. Let me explain a little bit more about the distinction I'm wanting to see. And I know we have at least a few folks here who know Greek way better than I do. So I'll be interested to your uh, response um, here. So, so, so Aiden, here's my specific question in English. This verb is in the present perfect tense. Now the present perfect, we have not sinned, right? If we say that we have not sinned in English, what that tense means, it's a all perfect tenses that is using have as a as a as a, a helping verb right um it means an action that's complete right when you say you have done something right you mean you you're saying you have done something you had done something you will have done something all of those are referring to a, a completed action right that's why it's the perfect tense means the action is complete right that's what that means um now in english the tense that you put the helping verb in have right you can either have it in the past i had done this in the present i have done this or in the future i will have done this right and what that means is that puts the time frame of when the action is complete right it's so cool right so past tense means this action was completed at a point in the past like it was this, this is done a while ago Right. Um, future tense, I will have done this means you're referring to a, a completed action, but it isn't yet complete. It's going to be, you're talking about the time when it is going to be completed in the future. Right. Um, the present perfect, I have done something means it's complete now. Like as of the time you say you were declaring it complete. Right. That's the, the in, in, in the present tense, as of now, this action is completed. 
right? Um, and of course, the not, it's just negative, right? So it's the negative thing that is, uh, uh, that is being completed in the present. So the, in the, the English verb is rendered here in the present perfect, and I believe that's consistent everywhere, Hang on, let me uh, jump ahead here. King James, have not sinned. Uh, NIV, have not sinned. NRSV, have not sinned. Um, CEV, have not sinned. Message, we've never sinned. So they're doing that uh, more explicit interpretation like they do. Um, but uh, but yeah, so 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 there you go. Uh, every with the exception of the message, um, which is almost always an exception, uh, everybody renders it exactly the same way, present, perfect. So my question for our Greek people, the verb is in the simple perfect. It is, uh, is that different? Again, the way that I interpret or the way, what that English tense means, right, is when, uh, when the English translations say, if we say that we have not sinned, it means like with the, Sinning is something that we've done in the past and we're saying we haven't. So like, we're saying that like we've never sinned in the past is what it means. Um, so my interpretation of the English, English verse is very much Stephen, the latter of your two points claiming that we have never sinned. As you can see the message, which doesn't is the only one that doesn't use that phrase is clearly interpreting that phrase in that way. Right. Um, that like the, the completed action of sinning in the past which as of now, like, so from now backwards, right, that sinning, that didn't happen, right? So it's it's definitely, in, in, in my ears, the first part of verse 10 there in the English is clearly saying, if we, if we say that we have never sinned, right? Now, I'm not sure about the nuances of the, of the simple perfect being used, simple, perfect, indicative, active. Um, so it's... Um, Indicative active is very is very simple, right? We got the first person plural. Um, it's the it's the it's the it's the simple perfect here that I'm not sure about. That I I I don't know to what extent the uh, um um yeah yeah right. So Aiden is, says that he's he worries a little bit that the English connotation of um never you know have not done X meaning. Uh, that it means never did X before this point um, isn't a th- isn't a thing necessarily that the Greek perfect does, but he's not sure. Yeah, no, I don't. Sorry, I don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, uh, I'm just uh, um, okay. That we have not sinned. Well, at the very least, it's in the perfect, right? Which usually, which is past tense, right? Referring to something in the past. So at the very least, what it's saying, um, if we're saying that we have not sinned, what's the difference between that and what it said before? That's the first question, right? The first question is, I mean, this sounds very similar to the beginning of verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And then he says, again, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Um, So is it just, is it just a repetition? Is he saying the same thing twice or is it, is he saying something different? There's there a distinction there? That's to me, the first most obvious question that we need to sort of sort out. Right. Um, so look at the difference here. The clear difference is in the tense, right? If we should say, and here we go, we've got our aorist verb and everything, right? Uh, it, it, this is exactly the same phrase, right? If we should say, um, 
right? Uh, so it's uh, what in the Greek, it's what? Um, Aeon Ipomen. Aeon Ipomen. Um, Aeon Ipomen, right? Exactly the same phrase. So, it, so it's uh, the, para, the, the, the two verses start in exactly the same way. Um, and then he goes to the present tense in verse eight. Where do, oh, sorry, missed it. Verse seven. Where did verse eight go? There it is. Okay. If we should say that we have not sin, right? If we say, and remember, sin is a noun, a singular noun there. We talked about that, right? The difference between having sin, singular, right? And confessing our sins, plural, right? There in in verse nine, we talked about that before. So if we should say that we have not sin, present tense, present active, right? That sin is not a thing that we are currently in possession of, right? Then we deceive ourselves. Whereas in verse 10, he switches it from the present tense to the past tense. And of course, he's, ta- he's making sin a verb instead of a noun, right? The verb was have, like we don't possess, we don't, we don't you know, carry it, right? Um, it's, not, it's, it's not in our possession. Sin, singular. If we say that, they, that it's not in our possession, uh, then we're deceiving ourselves, right? That's, that, was the, that was the verse eight version. Now he's taking the, he's, he's using the verb form of sin, right? And he's putting in the past tense. So those are the two differences. It's exactly parallel, but he introduces those two differences. Um, if we should say that we have not sinned. Um, so in the context, um, it really does sound, um, yeah, uh, Stephen says in verse 10, it's talking about a verb that has or hasn't been done. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why it does seem to me, I think that the present perfect translation and even the, the you know, the message's paraphrase of it seemed, seemed to me to be right based on the parallelism between eight and, and 10, right? Um, that what he's, what he's talking about there, that first is a, a description of, our current state, right? If we, um, if we deny our current state of sin, then we're deceiving ourselves, right? Um, but if we say that we have not sinned, right? If we, if we claim that sin is not even an issue, right? Has never been an issue, right? Um, that in the past, as a perfect action, as a completed action, sin has never happened, <laughs> From like we've we've never it's never a completed action we've performed right um, and so that that does seem to me to be again so uh, um, you know allowing for correction by people who understand uh, the Greek syntax better than I do um, which would not be hard that's certainly what it seems to me so that seems to be the issue here um, the difference between a statement about your current um, about your current state, right? Um, and therefore, in a sense, the kind of state moving forward, right? Um, we talked about how in verse nine, that shift to plural sins, right? And the emphasis on God's faithfulness suggests an ongoing condition, right? If we confess our sins whenever they happen, right? Um, not like a, did you confess your sins? Okay, then you're good. Right. Like, you know, like you could just do it once for all. Right. No. If we confess our sins, present tense, right. If we confess our sins, plural sins, he is faithful 
he's not only righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he's faithful, right? He will continue to do that again and again as we confess our sins. So in a sense, it seems like both eight and nine are oriented towards the present and the future, right? They're describing our present state and talking about how we're going to go on, right? Um, verse 10 is looking towards the past. It's, 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 it's in the past tense, right? So it's one thing to deceive ourselves, right, about our present state. It's another thing, or at least it's a thing he's going to talk about separately, right, to make a claim about our past, and say, sin? No, not me. I'm fine. I've never sinned, right? Um, uh, So, okay. So, by the way, this also, the turning towards the past in that first phrase of verse 10 also kind of helps to clarify for me that, to make me feel even more confident, right, that eight and nine are pointed more towards the present and the future with verse 10, looking towards the past. Okay, okay. Um, Okay. Second phrase, then, if we say we have not sinned, so what do we do? So remember our, 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 our if clauses, our negative if clauses, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we had both of those times, we had the, the, our speech, right? The thing that we were claiming and both, time, it, both times it was connected with our relationship with truth right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Second time, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And we talked about how that means we're we're, we're wandering off the path, right? We're leading ourselves astray. Um, We're leading ourselves astray and the truth is not in us. Um, Difference between practicing the truth and the truth not being in us. Third time, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay. Um, whew. All right. We make him a liar. Here's where it is. Check this out. Check this out. Check this. this is so awesome. If we should say that we have not sinned, sustain, uh, sustain, sustain. I'm not sure how to pronounce that liar right um clearly as you can see this is from the same root as um if we lie back in verse six right where did it go verse six um we all right darkness is none if we say we have fellowship with him in the darkness we lie there it is pseudomathia right the pseudo root um uh is there so okay we we uh sustain we sustain poyomen auton. Do you see the parallel? Do you see the parallel word? This is the one that every single English translation conceals. Nobody does justice to this because you can't do it in English. It doesn't work in English, right? The key is in the verb. We make him a liar, right? We make him a liar. We make him out to be a liar. And that's what all the English translations say, right? We make him a liar. We make him a liar. The King James says that. We make him out to be a liar, says the NIV. Uh, We make him a liar, says the NRSV. Um, We make God a liar, says the CEV. And we make a liar out of him, says the message. Like everybody, make. Make is the verb, right? But did you catch the verb? 
Did you catch the verb? Poyomen. Poyomen. Do you see? Go back to six. Go back to six. This is so awesome. So we go back to six. Right? If we should say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, Sudametha, and do not poyomen the truth. Is it? It's the poyomen again, right? Practice, do, right? We don't do the truth. If we say we walk in, we, we're in fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we're lying and we don't do the truth. If we say we have not sinned, we do God a liar, right? We, again, this does, it, it doesn't work in English. We can't, we can't, this is why none of the translations do this, right? But same word, right? Same word. We, and so, so you, and you see the parallel and it falls in exactly the parallel spot, right? In the parallel verses, right? Oh man. Like it's so when you see it in the Greek, it's like, boom, it's right there. We make him a liar. We practice, we do him to be a liar. Do I got that? You can't even do it in English, right? You can't, it's, it's impossible. I can't blame the translations. You can't do it in English, but there it is, right? We poyomen him a liar just as we did not poyomen the truth before. And when we talked about like, what does it mean to do the truth, right? Um, what does it mean to do the truth? What does it mean to do him a liar, right? To make him a liar, our actions, through our actions. To per- it's, it's, it's about poyomen is a really simple verb, right? It means to, to do, to practice, right? To, to make it happen, right? What we make happen in verse 10 by saying that we have not sinned is making a liar out of God, right? Um, okay. So, whew, all right. This is a shocking twist, right? It's, it's a shock. I, I, that's, I, I can't help but think of it as a shocking twist. Um, all the way through, the question was whether or not we're going to be practicing the truth. It was like, what is the relationship between us and truth? Like, do we have truth or do we not have truth? Right. Is the truth in us or is the truth not in us? Right. Are we practicing the truth? So in a sense, you can see verse six and eight, the, the end of verse six and verse eight being like complementary um, to each, to, 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 to each other. Right. Um, like the truth being in us and us doing the truth are like two sides of the same thing almost, right? Um, both of them are about our relationship to the truth. Both of them are about our uh, uh, koinonia, right? Our connection to the truth um, and saying that that's not going to happen, right? Uh, or it's not happening if we are saying this thing uh, that is not true, if we're lying in these ways, so we're lying and deceiving ourselves. Um, here, the shocking twist is that we're now doing something to God, right? We're doing something to the, to, and uh, to the truth itself, right? Which brings me back to verse six. We lie and do not practice the truth. Well, goodness, that, that seems, um, I mean, that's unfortunate, clearly, right? Um, but it doesn't seem like, I don't know, violent or anything, right? Um, uh, you're not harming God at all, right? If you're not practicing the truth. I mean, practicing the truth is obviously something you should do, right? But, uh, but, you know, if you don't, like, you're the only one who, who's, you know, it's not like you're, you're doing anything to God, right? 
but now I'm now I wonder, right? Now I wonder. He's turned this around and made it very much more forceful, right? We make him a liar. Um, yeah, yeah. Aiden uh, is suggesting a, a way to kind of bring out the parallel might be to say um, we do ourselves into liars and we do God into a liar, right? Um, yes, yes. Um, now I'm not trying to just equate these two things because they're not equivalent, right? To say they're absolutely equivalent, that is, um, you know, the end of six, the end of eight, and the, you know, middle of 10 there um, are all saying exactly the same thing would be to say that, like, you know, the first halves are all identical, and they're not. He's pointing out different things, right? He's making separate points. Um, but um, but I think it's, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Stephen, I agree. Uh, Stephen sees a progression um, in verse 6 we're lying to others, like we're deceiving others. In verse eight, we're deceiving ourselves. We're leading ourselves astray. And then in verse 10, we do God into a liar, right? We're, we're, we're making a, making an, 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 almost like an accusation against God, right? Um, yeah. Now, the thing that I think, which the thing I can't get away from is that the, 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 the parallels of those statements we do not poyomen the truth. Um, the truth is not in us. And we poyomen him a liar. Um, suggests to me, I think it can be like multiple things at once, Stephen. On the one hand, I do also see a progression. But I also don't think they're very separate from each other. Again, the, um, there seems to be a reciprocity there not poyomening the truth, the truth not being in us, and uh, poyomening God a liar. Um, You are, when you don't practice the, not practicing the truth, this is getting back, let me try to clarify what I was saying before. It sounds like it could be so neutral, right? Like, if you're not practicing the truth, again, suboptimal, right? But, you know, nobody gets hurt but yourself, I guess, right? You're not practicing the truth. Um, I, I don't think that's the case here, right? I don't think, I don't think that's the case. I think it's, I think it's bigger than that, right? Um, in fact, Stephen, you, I, I, I'm almost tempted to turn, like, to see in that progression that you're seeing, to see something like, an Im- like a statement, right? If you don't practice the truth, the truth is not in you and you make the truth itself to be a liar, right? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a connection because uh, these, these things are not just like progressive statements. Like if you do thing A, then this happens. But if you do thing B, then this other thing happens. But if you do thing C, you know, thing three happens, right? That's not the structure of this paragraph. These things are parallel to each other, but they're parallel in a very, like, once again, I go back to my, to the like uh, Hebrew poetry vibes that I'm getting all the way through. Right. Um, I, I keep getting these. Um, and by the way, the more, the more I think about this, the more I've thought, um, and I've been thinking about this more recently, the more I've thought about how the Psalms work and Hebrew poetry works, the more um, with that, those, um, you know, parallel repeated statements, uh, the more convinced I am that Jewish writers who are 
like completely immersed in the, you know, the Hebrew Bible traditions, just like think this way all the time and can't help themselves. You can see it in Jesus all the time, right? When Jesus is speaking, like Sermon on the Mount and lots of other places, uh, so many of Jesus's statements reflect this kind of uh, pattern of thought, right? Um, I kind of get the impression that when you real when this is your poetic mode, right? Um, and the poetic mode would have been so important. Um, would have been so important, especially in a largely, you know, sort of pre-literate society. I know the Jewish tradition is much bigger into literacy than most other cultures of that time and place. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, claiming that's not true. Um, but still most people, um, I, you know, person by person, um, literacy way lower. Most people are not having their own copy of the Torah that they're reading, you know, in their quiet times at home. It's just not how it happened, right? You still are mostly, most people are consuming the Hebrew Bible most of the time orally, right? Orally, I should say, um, as someone reads it and sings it. Um, And therefore that kind of poetic structure becomes how you remember things. It becomes how you think about things. Right. Um, so anyway, I, that's what I see happening throughout here. And which is why Stephen, I think it's, it's a mis- I think it's a mistake when you're looking at anything, which is so, so like certainly w- when you're reading the Psalms, right. And you, you're, 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 you're getting that kind of poetic structure where he's like one statement and then a restatement of that statement in different terms or in so in, in different ways, like that you, you can do a thing and then it's a reversal, right. You can do a thing and then uh, a restatement in another sense or an extension in another way. There, there are lots of really um, uh, subtle versions of this that they have. And uh, it's really complex and interesting, uh, but still the tendency it seems to me that the tendency of like um, Western, at least of Western, I can't really speak to the Eastern traditions, but in within the Western tradition, there has always been a tendency to make those things into a logical statement, right? To distinguish between, um, you know, when you've got two poetic statements, right? Two parallel statements to make it as if those are two logical propositions, right? Which either build upon one another or, or are, you know, and I, I think that that's um, uh, not the way that it works, right? I think they're misunderstanding the poetry uh, uh, by thinking about it um, in that way. But um, um, yeah, so um, anyway, this is so, Stephen, I'm coming back to the, your point about the progression, because I think you're right. I think that he is building on that. I think it's, that last verse is shocking, right? I mean, we poilman him to be a liar. That's a, that is a scandalous thing to say. I mean, um, if nothing he said has brought conviction yet, that should. So is he escalating? Boy, yes, I believe he is escalating. And I think that we can see, I think you're absolutely right to see that escalation in those three statements. Um, however, I think we would be making a mistake to again, separate these three things, verse six, verse eight, and verse 10, as if they were making three totally separate claims, right? Which like, you know, again, like if you do thing A, you get result one. If you do thing B, you get result two. If you do thing 
C, then you get result three. Um, like I, I, that, that I don't think is what he's doing. Um, it doesn't quite work that way. Yes, there is escalation. Um, uh, but I do think that there is also, we're supposed to be putting these things next to each other. We're supp- I mean, they are next to each other. <laughs> we're supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be kind of thinking about how these things overlap and overlay each other. That's more like how Hebrew poetry works, right? That seems to be the way that this kind of thinking is kind of going down here. Um, uh, and on the, so on that level, I, I see both things happening simultaneously. I, th- I see the escalation, but I also see, um, I also see the overlay, right? If you're not practicing the truth, right? If you're, if you're, if you're claiming to have fellowship with him and walking in darkness, you're not practicing the truth. If you're not practicing the truth, the truth is not in you clearly, right? And if the truth is not in you, and what you're practicing is not truth, then what you're practicing, what you're doing is making God a liar is what you're doing, right? Um, It is not just a question of your relationship to truth. It's a question, you are doing something to truth, right? That's again, embedded in this whole idea of poiomening the truth in the first place, right? You're doing something to truth. You're either practicing it, it's in you and you're in it, or not. And if not, then you're practicing, you're doing him into a liar, right? Your, your, your actions and your words are impugning truth itself, right? And that's a huge deal. Anyway, I was, uh, my mind was completely blown when I saw that parallel um, uh, and what it suggests about practicing the truth uh, using that same word and that same construction in the parallel place. But, but let's go back to the if then statement contained in verse 10, right? Um, Okay. Um, You're calling truth itself a liar. If you say, that you have not sinned, right? Um, so what does this mean? Why is this different from verse eight? How is this different from verse eight? Well, again, we were talked about the first causes, right? The one is, seems to be talking about our present state of sin, right? If we say that we don't have sin, that sin is not an issue, right? Uh, in relationship to us, we're deceiving ourselves, right? But if we say that we have not sinned in the past, if we say that sin is never been an issue for us, which I is the only way I can see to understand that first phrase. If we say sin has never been an issue for us at all, if we say we're fine, right, then that is in a sense a bigger deal, right? Then we're impugning truth itself. Um, what has God revealed, right? I mean, if we go back, right, um, the life was manifested, the life, the word of life was revealed. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and which was manifested unto us. What's all this stuff that we've seen, right? All this, this message that we, that he's proclaiming, right? Um, and uh, the revelation that God has put forward. What's, what, what is all this, right? The eternal life, the eternal life, the life was manifested, right? Um, if the life has been manifested. Life is being given you and your response to it is, no, it's okay, I'm good. I'm good. 
right? I got, I'm, I, I got, I got, I got life, right? Um, now, why am I bringing in life here? Well, I have to admit, I'm here relying on uh, long established correlations from the Hebrew Bible, right? Namely, between sin and death, right? Um, uh, sin and death have been an issue for a while now, right? Since Genesis 3, uh, the connection between sin and death, um, uh, and that death comes by sin, right? We see this from, 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 from Genesis 3 on, right? Um, this, is a, this is a significant issue. Um, life, and that's the message, that's the revelation, right? That we hear about, that he pauses and gives us that parenthesis about in, 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 in verse 2, right? It's the life that was revealed, this eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us right? Life has come. Life has come into the dead world. Life has been offered to us dead people, right? Um, Dead in our sins, right? The restoration of the life that Adam and Eve had, that Adam and Eve could have had, right? But um, which was lost in the garden as a consequence of sin. Life, uh, the life of the age, right? The eternal life is being offered to us. Um, and if we say that we have not sinned, we're saying n- not relevant to us, right? We don't need it. Your big plan, God, <laughs> right? Your, thanks, but no thanks, right? No, I really, I appreciate the effort, right? You really, you seem to have gone to some effort and, 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 and that's meaningful. It, it really is, right? I appreciate it uh, and everything, but, um, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You really shouldn't have troubled yourself, right? If you'd asked me in advance, I could have, I could have told you it wasn't really necessary, but no, but seriously, I appreciate the effort, right? I mean, in a sense, that's what you're saying to God. If you say you have not sinned, right? Um, who needs, who needs an infusion of life? Who needs life to be revealed to them? Right. Um, if, uh, if you've not sinned, um, well, God says that we need, life, right? That's the whole premise of his revelation. <laughs> it's, it's the reason he's given us life in the first place, right? He's, he's, uh, uh, it's the reason why the word of life has come. And so, yeah, yeah, it's kind of um, making him a liar. Here's a parallel um, that uh, I was thinking of that helped me. I don't know if it would help you. Um, but um, when we talk about redemption, deliverance from death and that kind of thing. It seems to me that the, one of the dominant, and again, here I'm trying to put myself as much as I can into the mind of the, okay, into the mindset of the original author and audience of this epistle, right? Um, When uh, you have a first century Jewish dude, like the author, right? <clears throat> who is thinking about redemption, right? Who's thinking about, you know, salvation or whatever. What's the primary metaphor he's going to be thinking of? What's the picture in his mind about that? It's going to be Exodus, right? Um, I mean, the Exodus, this is the dominant story of the whole Old Testament, <clears throat> right? Um, uh, again and again and again, this is the, uh, this is the metaphor. Um, that and 
deliverance from Babylon, right? But that, of course, is done in parallel to the uh, the deliverance from Egypt. Um, so imagine the Exodus, right? Um, what's the difference between saying you have no sin and saying you have not sinned? To me, it would be the difference between an Israelite saying you have no sin would be saying, thinking you're fine now, you've been delivered, right? So the sin thing, not an issue for you anymore, right? Um, so you would be like an Israelite on the far side of the Red Sea, right? You've been set free from Egypt, congratulations, right? But fortunately, on the other side of the Red Sea, you don't any longer, everybody knows, you don't any longer have to rely on the delivering, you know, the deliverance of God, right? Um, how's that going to work out for you, <laughs> right? Uh, within a few days, you're going to get pretty thirsty, right? Uh, and there's going to be issues, right? Uh, not too far down the road, there's going to be an, an, uh, an issue with the golden calf, right? So probably, you're probably leading yourself astray if you think that there's no current issue, right? There's nothing you still need to be delivered from. Um, maybe getting into a pattern of, um, you know, confessing your sins. Uh, in other words, relying actively upon God in the present and for moving forward. Maybe we could learn from that example that that would be a better plan, right? For the other side of the Red Sea. But verse 10 seems to look back to pre the other side of the Red Sea, right? Like Egypt going to the Israelites in slavery and them saying, slavery, what are you talking about? Slavery? We're fine. We're fine. We like it here, right? Nothing I'd rather do than build the pyramids, to be, to be perfectly frank, right? Like this is, I'm, I'm, uh, I've opted in. To, it may look like I'm in slavery, right? But I enjoy making bricks without straw, actually, right? Um, this is my elective activity. Um, exactly, Devorah. There's flesh pots. It's all good. Like, I love it here, right? I love it here and I don't want to leave. <clears throat> um, I don't have a problem, right? My sons aren't being massacred. It's fine. It's fine. I, I haven't seen him in a while, but whatever. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like that kind of denial, right? That's the, the, the would be this, in my mind, that's the difference between saying you have not sinned and saying that you have no sin. Both are a big deal, right? Uh, both are, both are, uh, I mean, as we see that, uh, you know, the golden calf, big deal, right? There's a whole bunch of big deals uh, in that you know, sort of present and future oriented portion of the, of the Exodus story. Um, but if God comes to you and says, I shall set you free from your slavery, and your response is, I'm not in slavery, then you're poiomening him a liar, right? Then you're doing him into a lie. Your actions, your, your words are making a liar out of God. Um, and that's a different thing, right? That's a, that's a bigger deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, so that was my, that was my sort of parallel to try for me to try to understand a little bit better about the difference between those two things. Um, and again, I think we can see why the, 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 the shock factor escalation of the thing in verse 10 there, right. Uh, poiomening him a liar. Um, is a, a big deal. So, but then we get to the last phrase, his word is not in us. Right. Um, what's our, what's our context for that? His word is not in us. When have we seen the word? 
Word of Life stuff at the beginning, right? Um, the whole context, right? What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, looked at, touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. Um, these are the things that are being proclaimed, right? Um, the Word of Life. So yeah, his word is not in us. Um, now, of course, there's always been two senses of the word logos here. Um, logos, it can mean his message. Now, we've not used the word logos for message. We've had other words for message and announce and proclaim, right? All those, all those things were kind of related words, um, and we didn't have logos there. Um, but if you want to take logos as like, uh, like, you know, message, word in the sense of the thing that he said, right? His teaching, his commandments. Um, yeah, sure. His commandments are not in us. Absolutely. Obviously, they're not right. Um, you're, if you're denying that you've ever committed sin, then yeah, you're not exactly following his commandments, right? You're, uh, you're kind of um, not even getting on board that train, <laughs> right? If that's, uh, if, that's, if that's the attitude. But I think there's a, a clear double sense, right? The only way the word, word has been used so far. I think it's, it, in a sense, it's preparing us for that, right? He's going to come back and talk about the commandments um, uh, of God. And so I think that the word logos here, um, can, which is double checking, right? Logos. Yeah. Just making sure we're using the word word there. We're using the word logos. In fact, I'm pretty sure we were, I wanted to confirm, um, uh, his use of the word logos, I think does point forward to some of the things he's going to be saying about God's commandments pretty soon. Um, but, um, but he's he's not set that up yet, right? Um, so it's it's uh, we're going to be looking back to this verse, right? When we get to those things later on, but right now, um, so it might be kind of pointing in both directions in that way. But it's definitely pointing back. I think the only thing to this point that we can see is that it's pointing back to the word of life at the very beginning. That very thing that we have seen, heard, gazed upon, handled. Um, uh, the 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 word of life stuff right um and think about how this fits the pattern right if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light right um and the truth is not in us and his word is not in us right so we have the deliberate parallel of his word with the truth right if we do this Verse eight, right? If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, his word is not in us. Um, like a clear parallel between those two things, his word and the truth. In verse eight, when we talked about that, I was, I told you I was suspicious, right? I was suspicious that what was happening there in verse eight was a personification of the truth. Um, but I was not confident enough to state it for sure just at that point, right? Um, after verse seven, with uh, walk in the light as he himself is in the light, uh, I was, um, I was, it was inclined in that direction. But here, um, I think I'm ready to say that more clearly, not to mention the fact that the, the, the connection between, the parallel between truth and him, right? Uh, to poyomen the truth, to poyomen him, 
right? Um, uh, either you're practicing the truth in yourself or you're making him into a liar. Uh, you're making him the truth into the liar. So um, all of these things really kind of come together there. It's one of the things, one of the, so it's one of the answers to my initial question, what is first 10 doing, right? Well, one of the things it does, I think, is provide the third terms in these statements, which helps to really tie them all together. Uh, the pattern of practice the truth, truth is not in us, poyomen him a liar, um, becomes clearer when we see those three things together. Um, and similarly, his truth is not in us, um, his word is to walk in the light as he is in the light. His truth is not in us. His word is not in us. Um, really sort of brings those things together too. I think it, this, um, the parallel with the word um, seems much more clearly to me to imply a personification of the truth that at the end of the day, what is it all about? At the end of the day, it's all about the koinonia, right? It's all about the relationship. Um, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we don't, we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's no koinonia there, right? We don't have, we've, we're, 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 we're wandering away. We're leading ourselves astray from what? From koinonia, from the truth. Right? The truth is supposed to be in the truth is something that we do, that we poyomen, right? That we practice. But if we don't practice the truth, we don't have fellowship with him. We're lying about having fellowship with him, right? It's not true, right? Um, if we uh if we say that we have no sin, right, we're deceiving ourselves, we're wandering away, leading ourselves astray from that oneness from that connection to truth, from that fellowship, right? If we say that we have not sinned, we are poyomening the truth into a liar and his word is not in us, right? The word of life, we don't actually have the word of life dwelling within us. If we say that we don't need life, if we say that we're not dead and need life, then his word, his life, the word of life, it's not going to be in us then right? But that koinonia will not, will not be there, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So all of it really kind of seems to come together sort of in that last verse there. Um, look at the larger patterns then of, the, of this paragraph which we've already kind of been doing here to some extent. Um, this is the message he starts with, right? This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, declare to you that God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all, right? This is the message. Okay. So if this is the message, this paragraph, he's telling us the message, right? Or rather the message is God is light. And then he's telling us the implications of that, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's, um, I was going to say, it's absolutely black and white, but it's not about black and white. It's about light and darkness, right? Which is different. Um, very different. I've got a black thing and a white thing. The black thing can smudge the white thing, right? Darkness can't smudge the light. 
Um, so in that way, it's 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 more active, right? More active and absolute than black and white. Um, it's light and darkness. Um, okay. Um, so we look at these two initial terms, right? God is light. And this issue of having fellowship with him, right? Which is what's at issue at, from the start here. If we say that we have fellowship with him, right? It all kind of serves in a sense. Um, he's expanding on what he stated before, right? Indeed, our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ, right? Okay. And remember, you know, my question, my sense of what we're talking about throughout here is what now, right? Or to look at verse four there, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete, right? Um, there is completeness of joy yet to come, right? Um, joy can be incomplete. He wants the, our joy to be complete, right? But we've got fellowship with God, right? Great. What does that mean? Now what? So what? What does that look like? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Um, okay. Um, we've got light, and we've got truth, and then the word there at the end, right? Um, what does the fellowship with God look like? What does it mean to be in fellowship with the God who is light, and in him there is no darkness at all? It means there can be no deception, no false pretenses, right? In verse 6, 8, and 10, we get three instances of things that we say. It's all about what we say. If we say this, if we say that, if we say that, right? And the effects of that. If we say this, we're not practicing the truth. If we say that, then the truth is not in us. If we say that, then his word is not in us, and we are making the truth into a liar, right? Um, <clears throat> okay, so why is he talking about what we say and what we do? Poyomen, right? Doing the truth, um, doing him into a liar, right? Doing the truth into a liar. Um, there can be no deception. There can be no false pretenses. The two conclusions that seem to me inescapable from this is, again, back to the, not the black and white, the light and dark issue here. There can be no such thing as nominal belief, right? Lip service is not possible, or I mean, it's possible, but, <clears throat> but it's a lie. Um, it's a lot, whether you're deceiving yourself, uh, whether you're making him a liar, you know, uh, lip service is not possible. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Um, as we were talking about in six and seven, right? Um, you can't walk in darkness and have fellowship with him. You're lying. It's just, it's not possible. You can't do it. You can't do it. Um, nominal identification with God, any form of superficial belief, which is not true, which is not practiced, right? Which is not founded in real fellowship with him 
it's it's impossible. It's not just like second best. It's impossible. It's an illusion. It's at most a self-deception. You can't do it. It's not possible. So if you are doing it, you're not practicing the truth. The truth is not in you. His word is not in you. You're making him a liar, right? Um, if you think you don't need it, then uh, you, his word is not in you, right? Um, but if you, if in any way you think you're fine, right? You think you're good. You've, you've uh, you know, aligned yourself with God. You've put yourself in the God camp, however it is, one way or another, right? Um, well, are you walking in darkness? If not, you're not practicing the truth, right? Do you convince yourself that you're okay? Do you think you have no sin? That you don't have sin, right? <clears throat> or to say the same thing, right? Do you confess your sins, right? And receive his cleansing? Um, so maybe you're cleansed. Great. You've been cleansed. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, do you, do you confess your sins? Do you walk in the light as he himself is in the light? Right. You can't, um, you can't ignore sin. How you walk matters, right? Clearly. Um, and if you walk in the light, then twice, he says, we're cleansed, right? If you walk in the light, you're cleansed of your sins. If you confess your sins, you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, right? His right, he is righteous and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, right? So he, you are made clean. You're brought, your darkness is brought into the light. We talked about the great promises that are contained in this, right? Um, but both of these things are clearly active there, right? We can't escape from either one of them. You can't just take the promises and not, see the premises under which the promises are offered, right? You, you can't, it's not possible to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. If you're not going to stop walking in the darkness, if you're not going to come out into the light, then you won't be in the light. You'll be in the darkness. If you don't confess your sins, he remains faithful and righteous, right? I mean, he's going to be faithful and righteous no matter what we do, right? But these are if-then statements. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His being faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. He is, has the righteousness to forgive our sins. He has the faithfulness to forgive our sins, right? But the cleansing from all unrighteousness is the then from the if we confess our sins, just as the, uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin is the then statement of the if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. And again, as we said before, what does walking in the light look like? Walking in the light as he himself is in the light. Uh, the truth being in you, his word being in you. Koinonia, that relationship, that intimate relationship with God, being, in, being together, being joined with God, right? I begin to get the impression after this paragraph that the word koinonia is a very profound word indeed, right? That it suggests a very intimate 
relationship, a very like a this sort of like overlapping relationship. Again, he keeps using that adjective in, right? We have to walk in the light. The truth can be in us. The word, his word can be in us, right? Um, that seems to me what koinonia with God looks like. And God is light and in him is no darkness at all, right? So if we are in him, there will be no darkness. That's what cleansing from all sin, from all of our sins looks like, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Stephen, I agree with you. Um, Stephen says, it reminds me of the folks who push back against Jesus is the only way and view heaven as a goal independent from God, as if heaven is a great place and God is just trying to keep everyone out except for his friends, not realizing that fellowship with God is the entire goal and what makes any of it worthwhile. Yes, exactly. Um, that uh, that heaven is a place and Jesus is just a gatekeeper, right? Um, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, that that's what it means to say none comes to the father, but by him. Right. Um, but I think that's clearly not what John means by that. Right. Um, you're right. It's the separation of the destination from the means, which is very much not what, uh, Jesus is saying, right. Certainly what, not what John is saying in his gospel. Right. Um, that's what I am the way means right um uh anyway yeah but um but yes yeah exactly it's it, it, it what it's about is koinonia with god right that's that's so what's the message the message he starts with a message about the nature of god and then tells us so this is what it means to have koinonia with god um, there can be no darkness. There can be no lies. And that relates to our actions, right? Because the reality is, and this seems clearer and clearer in, in verse eight, and then even more emphatically in verse 10, sin's an issue. Sin's an issue, right? This is not denying that. Anyone who would take this as like, uh, take this paragraph as teaching simple perfectionism, right? And by perfectionism, I just mean the doctrine that would say, when you're forgiven, you're forgiven once for all, like you can be, can and should be perfect, right? Um, he is deeply in touch with the fact, John is deeply in touch here with the idea that sin is both a very real part of our history, right? Our backstory and a present and future ongoing concern right? Again, I think back to my Exodus illustration, right? Um, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Sin is, sin is, sin, sin, sin's an issue and he knows that, right? Um, and so I talked about how, <clears throat> I've talked about in the past how God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, how threatening that can sound, right? Um, it's easy to see how that could be weaponized against us, right? God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. So is there any darkness in you? Sorry. Right. You can't come into the presence of the holy God of light. Right. Because there's darkness in you and therefore you're not there. So no koinonia for you. Right. Because there's darkness in you. And he is teaching explicitly against that. Right. Not only does he say, if you have darkness, don't worry about it. 
you'll be cleansed when you come into the light. The darkness will be cleansed. He doesn't only deliver that promise. He goes further than delivering that promise. You notice that? Um, if you, he doesn't just want you to take, like, to take up that promise, right? If you don't acknowledge that promise in full, right? If you deny that there is any darkness in you, um, then koinonia is not possible for you. Not only is it okay if you have darkness, but acknowledging your darkness, dealing with that is part of establishing koinonia with God, right? Um, that's, that's like much stronger, right? It's not only koinonia is an option for you. Like, don't despair. There could be koinonia for you. Um, he does say that, right? But he says more than that. Um, in order to have koinonia, you must acknowledge when you are walk in the darkness and how, and you need to stop doing that, right? And you need to confess your sins and you need to walk in the light as he himself is in the light, because that is the way to koinonia with God and with one another, then which more on that later on, right? Um, it's true that you can't establish fellowship with God until you recognize that you currently don't have fellowship. Yes, yes. That's very much true. That's very much true, right? Um, but, um, but then you do establish koinonia. And then guess what? You can't take your darkness with you. You can. Again, there's, that's the other side of this. Um, you know, I said that like, you know, verse five, the announcement, right? The message um, could be weaponized against us, right? Since God is light, uh, there, you know, no darkness allowed, right? And that's not true. But there still are some teeth in this paragraph, some pretty significant ones, right? And if we only come away with, hooray, our sin has been cleansed and we're accepted, that that's true. And that's very good news, right? Um, but there are ifs and thens all over the place in this paragraph, right? If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be clean. We can walk in the light as he is in the light. We can have fellowship with him. We can be in the truth and the truth, we can practice the truth and the truth can be in us and his word will be in us, right? Um, but we can't keep walking in the darkness or else there is a sense in which darkness can keep us out of the light, right? We can walk out of the light and into the darkness. Um, if we don't confess our sins, if we convince ourselves that we're fine, that we don't have sin, that it's no longer an issue for us, then we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? Um, that the koinonia will stop, right? There's a, there's a, this is a, it's, is not a once and for all thing. This is about the, remember the, what it's, this is about what now, right? What does life look like? It's happened, Right. The thing has occurred. The word of life has been revealed. 
right? Um, you know, the, the sacrifice has been made. Redemption has happened. Now what? Now what? What does that look like? What do we do? What is our relationship with God like on a daily basis? Now, there's still a lot we don't know about that. And he's going to talk about that a lot more in the rest of the book. Um, but um, uh, but it's pretty clear it doesn't happen automatically, right? Lots of ifs and thens. We're engaged in this process. Um, and um, And I would also say, again, back to the point about how there's there's no such thing as nominal identification with God that that is it's not a, it's not I was about to say it's meaningless it's not meaningless it's a lie it's a lie um, ultimately um, at the very least leading ourselves astray right it's a lie it's 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 not it's not there is no such thing as nominal koinonia with God and the implication of that is. And this is the uncomfortable part. If we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with God and our life doesn't change, then we're probably not practicing the truth, right? I mean, that's the implication here. We have to walk in the light as he is in the light. Are we doing that? Right? Um, And this is... Um, this is the thing that I get in here. I'm speaking, I'm not speaking to other traditions. Um, I know less about other traditions, but I'm speaking specifically to American evangelicalism. And this is my biggest problem. I think that's a fair statement. It's my biggest problem with American evangelicalism. The tendency to say, essentially, say the magic words, pray the magic prayer, and you're good, right? All's well as well, right? You've been saved, have been saved, not only present perfect, but present perfect passive, right? Um, you have been saved. It's all, it's all done. Yeah. Uh, Devora, you're absolutely right. What, what, what a wonderful way to say it. Um, uh, Devora says, there's this sense of come as you are, which is true, but the implication is that you can stay as you are. Yes, and that's the lie. That's the lie. To use John's language, that's that's a lie, right? Um, it's a lie. You're you're if you're because it's almost like saying you've not sinned, right? If uh, if you're saying you haven't sinned, you make God a lie, which means okay, we need to admit that you have sinned. In other words, that you've been walking in darkness, and if you've been walking in darkness, and you're going to now start walking in the light as he is in the light. There's that can't look the same. <laughs> you can't keep walking on the same path. Can you, right? It's got to be different. Um, what is, um, what does that mean? And Stephen, I exactly agree. Stephen says we push back so much against the idea of salvation through works that we want to remove works completely rather than viewing them properly. I agree. I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head of any more pernicious thing um, in the kind of like foundations of modern evangelicalism than the completely phony and misleading um, debate between faith and works. Right. Um, When I say phony, I mean, there is like 
both are obviously manifestly necessary. Like the New Testament is really very clear on this, that our actions matter and that uh, faith matters. Like grace is, grace is real, right? I mean, grace is, it is only by the grace of God that anything happens. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't do anything. I mean, in, in no matter how radical one is in trying to maintain, you know, pure grace uh, uh, with no works at all, um, all of the language that even people like that, like some extreme Calvinists or something use uh, shows against that. Right. Um, uh, you uh, it, it's anyway, you still use the imperative mood all the time uh, and telling people to do things anyway. It's so clear that these two things are necessary. Um, one I've, uh, I've recently been reading, uh, and been really moved by a lot of the works of Dallas Willard. I don't know if any of you have read anything by Dallas Willard. Um, I strongly recommend Dallas Willard. I think he's a really, really um, important, has some really important things to say uh, to the modern Christian world. Uh, he just died a few years back. Um, uh, the Divine Conspiracy, uh, The Renovation of the Heart is my favorite of his books, actually. Um, but um, Dallas Willard has a... a, a saying right he kind of has crystallized uh, a like a huge chunk of his teachings down into one sentence which i think is so important um grace is not opposed uh is grace is opposed to earning not to effort right earning is an attitude effort is about actions right um to hold the grace is not to say, and therefore there's nothing that we need to do. There absolutely are things that we need to do. If we do not walk into God's grace, we cannot imagine ourselves as merely passive. If we do, then we're going to end up deceiving ourselves. We're going to end up lying to ourselves and to others and not practicing the truth. We have to walk with him. And the New Testament shows this again and again and again, right? We have to walk in the spirit, right? Um and so, yes, the attitude, it's, you can't earn it. That's the important thing about grace. You're not earning it by your efforts. Um, it's opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, right? It doesn't mean you don't do perform any actions. Um, you do have to perform actions. And Jesus enjoins actions again and again and again, right? Um, uh, yes, we have to act. Yes, we have to do things. Um, but even notice back to, back to verse 9, right? Um, how are we cleansed from all unrighteousness? By the one who is faithful and righteous, right? Yes, of course, it all comes from him through grace. Absolutely. No questions about that. Where does the power come from? From the righteousness of God, right? Um, it comes from uh, it, the, the truth being in us, his word being in us, right? Um, the whole premise of koinonia is that you, 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 that like he's the invitation is there. The cleansing is there. He's the way in which it all happens. That's not even an issue. Can we stop talking about that? That's not an issue, right? The issue is what are we going to do, right? Because we can, we can walk away. You can walk away. Um, uh, I think of all of the, I'm not a Calvinist. Um, and I don't, uh, there's a bunch of things about uh, Calvinism 
that I'm okay with. But the one Calvinist doctrine that I think is most clearly and manifestly just wrong um, is the idea of irresistible grace. Um, uh, at least if when that doctrine is being applied. Um, do I think that what God plans to do is going to happen? Of course I do. Um, but, uh, but I do not think that that uh, removes the free will of people. It's all unbelief he is. Um, but um, anyway, uh, can we walk away? Yes, we can walk away. John is clearly uh, 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 says that we can walk away. That we remember the premise of all of this. He's not talking to people whom he's hoping to convince to become Christians, but whom he's hoping to believe uh, to establish koinonia with God and his uh, son, Jesus Christ, um, with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. He is talking to people who, um, from the beginning, right, saw, heard, gazed upon, handled the word of life stuff, right, um, who know the word of life stuff. Um, and you can still not practice the truth. Anyway, okay. Um, so understanding this, I was about to use the word balance. It's not balance. It's not about balance. Balance implies um, like some of this and some of that, like, you know, the certain, the, the right, just enough grace and just enough actions, right? No, that's not what it is at all, right? Um, it's, uh, this is the problem with like applying Aristotelian ideas to uh uh, to God is that sometimes it works like the Aristotelian idea of the golden mean, I mean, right. Where like virtue means, uh, you know, the golden mean between two extremes, the extremes are bad, but the golden mean is good. Um, and this is true in many things, right. Um, uh, but, um, as St. Augustine said long ago in his critique of that idea, there are some things which you cannot be too extreme. Like there's love is not something like an extreme of love is, does not become bad. Right. Um, uh, nor like, do you want to have like just the appropriate amount of, you know, sexual lust, right? Like that's, it's, it doesn't actually work like that. Right. Um, and, uh, um, anyway, uh, in this also, right. There's not a balance. It's not a balance between grace and actions, right? Um, both, uh, both happen, both and, right? Both at the same time. Um, so what does all this look like? You know, this, this emphasis on being in the light with God, right? Walking in the light as he is in the light. Um, acknowledging our sins, confessing our sins and receiving his cleansing, not just once for all from the past, but, um, uh, but moving forward into the future, what does that look like? Um, uh, and we'll have the rest of the book, uh, to be looking at that as he's going to be working with a lot of these things. Um, his transition after this is awesome. I love that the next verse is uh, the next verse and the way the next verse hits after this paragraph uh, is fantastic. Um, so next time we're going to go into uh, chapter two um, and uh, we'll see, we'll see where, uh, where John goes. We're going to get the first 
instance of one of John's favorite uh, little narrative techniques uh, or like uh, transitional techniques um, in uh, in the next verse. It's going to be awesome. So chapter two, verse one, next time. Next time should be next Sunday. Um, I'll be around next week. So, uh, but anyway, thanks everybody. This has been, uh, chapter one has been awesome. I really appreciate your walking with me uh, through this. Um, as I've said before, I feel like I am learning tremendously and uh, selfishly that has been my desire uh, all the way through this. That's why I wanted to do a Bible study on first John uh, so that I could come to understand it better. Um, I've understood, I've, you know, I've been studying it, memorizing it and uh, have understood enough in it uh, for it to have already had a profound impact on my life over the last year. Uh, and uh, I knew that that would be very greatly deepened by studying this together with, uh, uh, with, with you guys. So thank you guys so much uh, for coming along on this with me. And I will see you guys next week. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye now. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through First John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.